Knock, knock. Who's there? Divest. Divest who? Divest SFU. It took us five minutes to come up with that joke. Mm, I know. That was horrible. We suck at these. And also, none of you have sent us any on Instagram. Y'all really need to step up your divestment joke game and send us more suggestions. To be fair, in their defense, we don't actually have a podcast Instagram yet, uh, which I think that we should get on. Oh my Uh, God, you're so right. (laughs) We're currently running through Divest Canada socials, but uh, I think that we should get our own socials together. We are making a divestment Instagram, a divest podcast Instagram, folks. And by the time this podcast comes out, it will probably be live because we're going to hop on this quick. Um, but so then at that point, you can be amazing people and DM us divestment jokes. But as it is right now, we don't have any. So you're just going to have to listen to us talk straight up. Isn't that sad? That's Honestly, so sad. Petra, we are the joke. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, ouch, ouch. You don't have to say it, but it's true. Yeah, it's a little painful. I know. I'm sorry. <laughs> okay. Well, anyway. You can listen to these two jokes tell you a little bit about one of the most recent developments in divestment in Canadian higher education. The decision of Simon Fraser University to divest, which happened November 1st in 2021. Woohoo! Look at us go. We are on a divestment roll. I think Canada has had a significant amount of universities divest in the last like two years since the Divest Canada Coalition started. And I gotta say, really proud of that one. <laughs> really proud of that one. <laughs> Listen, we know that correlation doesn't equal causation, but let us have this. Let us have it. Simon Fraser's decision is super exciting. It came on the heels of some great work of SFU 350. We're going to be interviewing Brendan Strandberg-Salmon from SFU 350 about the decision, about everything that led up to it, including some really interesting actions like a giant mural in the middle of their campus. I wish we'd done that. That's so cool. So do I. Murals? Murals are so cool. And McMaster did one as well, right? McMaster? I want to do one now, even though Waterloo's decided to divest. I kind of want to just like do a mural anyway, now that everyone else has done one. (laughs) Me and you, will go gather and do a Divest <laughs> podcast mural. I don't know where we put it, but that sounds like a brilliant plan. Yeah, I also wanted to mention that although SFU 350 had some awesome actions, and that's kind of who we're speaking with today, some individual activists, Zayn and Jaden, also did a hunger strike leading up to uh, the decision by SFU to divest some fossil fuels. So pretty, pretty big stuff, some pretty big actions. Which is like, that's metal as hell. I almost participated in a hunger strike once. Didn't end up going through, but I have to say that I probably wouldn't have lasted that long. I have to I have to admit. <laughs> but, you know, obviously everything they put together worked. So the, I, on November 1st, which is when the hunger strike was due to start, but thankfully didn't have to, the university committed to a couple of key commitments. First being increased transparency uh, in regards to the, the climate risk and carbon intensity of SFU's investments, immediately freezing any new investments in fossil fuel companies, so no new investments coming in, and within five years, divesting from any direct ownership of fossil fuel public equities and corporate bonds. Amazing to hear this from SFU, along with all of the other universities that have divested in the past year. So to tell us more about that, we're going to bring it over to Brennan. Thank you so much for joining us. Do you mind giving us a little quick introduction? Hello, thanks for having me. Yeah, 
Yeah, so my name is Brennan. I am a fourth year student at Simon Fraser University in BC. I'm studying resource and environmental management. I'm an undergrad student and a longtime member of SFU 350. Another hat I wear is that I head up a youth-led climate change branch of the BC Council for International Cooperation, take on different like youth-led research and policy projects. So I'm very involved in kind of the climate change space and yeah, excited to, to talk to you all today. Yeah, we're very excited to have you. And you mentioned that you're a longtime member. How long have you been a part of SFU 350 and how long has SFU 350 been around? I joined in my first year. I guess close to four years ago. And so the club, I think it started in 2013. Um, SFU350, the name is kind of like an, an unofficial off, offshoot of 350.org, meaning 350 parts per million, considered the safe level of CO2 in the atmosphere. It emerged from Sustainable SFU, which is now called Embark, a nonprofit student society based out of SFU. And yeah, we had, they had some faculty supporters to help it get off the ground. And started it started out as like a divestment movement originally, and then expanded later on to some other climate related issues and, and strategies over the years. That's a long time, like 2013. What's that's nine years? Yeah, nine years. The SFU 350's been in operation. That is impressive, and also all the more satisfying now that you have reached your goal. Do you want to tell us a little bit about uh, Simon Fraser's recent decision to divest? Yeah, so on November 1st, SFU released the announcement. So I, I'll just read off their sentence, which is, in recognition of the escalating climate emergency and as COP26 convenes in Glasgow, SFU is announcing a full divestment from fossil fuels by 2025. So that includes, you know, SFU's, I think, $650 million endowment fund, $550 million working capital fund. At the point of the announcement, I think only 5% of their indirect investments remained in fossil fuel industry, so about like $50,000 or so, um, largely because of our club's past efforts on, on the matter. And I mean, SFU is a relatively small investor, so the goal wasn't necessarily to have like a huge financial impact per se. It's more about like making a bold public statement, what we call like revoking the social license of fossil fuel companies to continue with business as usual, clearly demonstrating the moral opposition, sending signal to other institutions that SFU no longer sees this as acceptable or even financially sound at this point. So um, yeah, it was a really, really big announcement for us. Obviously, the result of, you know, all of our hard work over the last many, many years. So we we're very excited to, to hear that. I know that leading up to this decision, I believe one of the big, big things that you had going on was the hunger strike, correct? By, uh, I think, Zayn and Jaden. Is that the right pronunciation of Zayn? I hope so. Yeah, yeah, Zayn. Yeah. Um, so they were, they were a pair of independent students. And I think there was a faculty member that were also involved in that. So not affiliated with SFU 350. They're not uh, uh, members, but definitely kind of aligned in our interest to get SFU to divest. Mm -hmm. Do you think that that action had a big influence on the university's decision to divest? I think it was a factor. Um, there actually were so many um, things at play um, when when the decision came out. So yeah, yeah, I mean, as I said, it's eight years in the making. Like it's it it can't be be brought down to like just the the, the actions that happened in the last few months, although those were crucial. Um, but it's really the tireless efforts of like countless SFU alumni, current students, faculty and staff, community members. And so 
the progress over the years has been shown by the small steps that SFU made along the way in response to pressure that SFU 350 put on them. So, for example, they had lots of commitments along the road for, I think, in 2014 or so, SFU created the, a responsible investment committee and responsible investment policy as a result of SFU 350's efforts. In 2016, they had a 30 by 30 policy, which was a 30% reduction in carbon footprint of the university's investments by 2030. SFU 350 kept pushing for more than that because we knew that you know carbon footprinting wasn't necessarily an effective climate solution, kind of an excuse for not divesting. SFU 350 made presentations to committee. In 2019, the board increased that commitment to 40%. By 2030, although at the time, because of a shift in asset managers, they had actually already achieved that goal somehow. So definitely wasn't the most ambitious target at that point. Um, and then shortly after, the board actually increased the target to 45% by 2025. So 5% more five years earlier. And again, a step in the right direction, but not ambitious enough or all that meaningful at that point. So what led up to the November 1st divestment commitment were a lot of things. So in the, in the two months preceding the announcement, first of all, SFU 350 had a climate emergency declaration campaign and a, a petition, an open letter, um, which was developed in collaboration with a lot of different student groups. And that was kind of in advance of the Board of Governors meeting of SFU that was going to happen in September. The petition now, I think, has over a thousand signatures. Wow. Lots of support, lots of media attention. Another factor that came into play was SFU 350 painted a mural, um, or I guess like a floor mural on the Convocation Mall of SFU. That received a lot of media attention, particularly because SFU responded with a threat of disciplinary action for not asking permission first. Um, I heard about that. Yeah, so a lot of a lot of media attention there, a lot of backlash on like media on Twitter. Actually, I think the 350.org co-founder Bill McKibben was also tweeting about it. And did the the students, were they disciplined in the end or? Yeah. So after, after that backlash, it was kind of SFU announced that misconduct would not be pursued um, and that the mural would stay up until after the Board of Governors meeting, which was our original intent. And then it was washed off after that. So then at the Board of Governors meeting, SFU did not pass the motion. The only one to vote in favor of it was um, the undergraduate representative, Serena Beans. So they delayed essentially the, the decision until a later date. There was also an SFSS motion, the Simon Fraser Student Society motion on October 27th. A few days before the November 1st decision, they voted to prohibit fossil fuel investments for all future boards. So we kind of said that we hoped as if you would follow suit um, because the students had themselves voted in favor of this for their own student society. And then as, as we said, the hunger strike. So that was going to happen starting on November 1st. In conjunction with that, COP26 was also starting on November 1st. So that all of these things came together at once. And that's kind of what led up to the the end decision on November 1st, although it still it still kind of took us by surprise in the end. We didn't get any like emails or any heads up from it. We just saw like the announcement come out from the president, you know, after so long fighting for this, it seemed like the day of divestment would forever be in the future kind of thing until it wasn't. So 
um, yeah, that's that's kind of the story behind how how the commitment came to be. That's a lot of moving parts. Yeah. But c- congratulations, first of all. I mean, you know, it, it seems to be a running trend that these universities, you know, put together these great commitments to divestment and unfortunately uh, make little to no reference to the student actions that made it happen. So, you know, first of all, credit to you um, and credit to everyone who worked with you towards this end. It's really heartening to me to hear that the student society was so much on your side do you do you think that that sort of support on campus was really important i know that at u waterloo our student union had also passed a policy committing to support divestment and promote it to the board of governors and and so our our uh student union president was a huge supporter of of divestment at the board meetings we attended did you feel that with sfu that that was a really big factor in the success yeah for sure yeah i would say so there was a huge outpouring of student support and and also support from faculty and staff and yeah i think that played a huge role you know they had our they had sfu 350s back during the whole mural scenario and and the backlash around that and not you know, the student society played a huge role. And there's also many, many other student groups that that came out in support, including like the First Nations Student Association, the Disability and Neurodiversity Alliance, Students of Caribbean and African Ancestry. So, and also the Teaching Support Staff Union. Yeah, we're very grateful to have all the that backing behind our our campaign. And just knowing that we had all that support behind us was really made a difference. That's yeah, it, it, it's really amazing to have that sort of backing, but also also interesting that, you know, even with that, all that backing and having it be incredibly clear that, you know, this is what your students want, that universities still hold out so long. What I wanted to also ask about is uh, we talked a little bit before we started recording and you mentioned when you were talking about what you folks were were doing leading up to the divestment decision. Uh, I'm interested to hear about your campaign to get SFU to declare a climate emergency. How's that going? Yeah, yeah. So that's that's kind of like what's next for us. Um, Well, first of all, ensuring that SFU is you know, holds up to their their commitment, this divestment commitment. Um, and yeah, the, the climate emergency declaration campaign. So there's seven main, uh, what we call demands. So divestment was one of those. So we're now tackling the other six, um, which are related to decarbonizing SFU's operations, um, climate education, climate justice, Trans Mountain Pipeline, which of course is that terminates at our campus on Burnaby Mountain. Uh, creating a student climate hub and kind of other topics related to that. Oh, and also one thing I'll mention is the flip side of divestment, which is our our community reinvestment campaign, which is actually in conjunction with UBC and I think UVic more recently, calling on the collective, the three universities to move 10% of their respective endowments and working capital funds, which totals more than 500 million across all the universities into community investments to support uh, vibrant and sustainable local economies. So that's all to say that, you know, there's there's a lot ahead. And actually today, uh, which is January 27th, SFU had a another Board of Governors meeting and SFU 350 had a little live stream watch party. And they finally 
made a simple word change in their um, in their motion, so they will declare a climate emergency rather than acknowledge the climate emergency. So it took four months for for that little change, but uh, that that's a big deal for us. And they're also broadening the scope of their responsible investment committee to become a climate action and sustainability committee to kind of tackle some of these these issues that we're we're asking them to to think about. So yeah, some some good progress there. And we're looking forward to continuing to put pressure on the university in the months and years to come. Mm-hmm. I'm like furiously taking notes for Fossil Free UW's next operations. <laughs> I mean, you guys, uh, that's an excellent blueprint. It sounds like you guys have a lot of really good work going on. Yeah, I think overall, I, I noticed in, in some, some previous podcasts, yes, like what advice would you have for other other students or other groups? I think overall, kind of looking back, we sort of took a two-pronged approach, like as in some internal ag- advocacy and also some external advocacy. So like the internal side would be building respectful relationships with, you know, SFU Treasury, also SFU's Chancellor, other other members of the administration that were kind of on our side in some way. So like building the case internally for divestment over the years so that also so that they know who we are personally, like not just some group of, you know, clueless students <laughs> talking about the pitchforks like outside their office. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and and to, to show that we actually know what we're talking about, like, so that, yeah, there's this sense of working together in some way to find solutions. Although the institution does bring up like an endless list of barriers and obstacles. So what pushed it to like the finish line was that external advocacy piece, like attention grabbing events, putting a lot of pressure from the outside, the direct action, like the mural, the hunger strike, a lot of media attention. So I think it was kind of those tackling the issue from the two sides that uh, really made the difference. I wanted to go back to one of the campaigns that you said that you were working on. I I see on your website, it's highlighted the anti-Trans Mountain Pipeline expansion campaign. That's pretty hot topic in the news, been something that's that's a lot of activists are really focusing on. Huge issue in BC. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that working group? Yeah, yeah. So when was that working group started? At, at least a couple of years ago. The working group itself has kind of taken a backseat as we kind of dive headfirst into our climate emergency declaration campaign. Um, although one of our seven demands is related to Trans Mountain Pipeline and kind of SFU taking a strong stance of opposition. There's a few reasons for that. And one of the most compelling ones, apart from obviously climate change and indigenous sovereignty, is the safety risk that it poses to students because the tank farm will be expanded. So they'll have closer barrels of oil than is recommended by health and safety restrictions. So, and there's also only like one exit off of the mountain that passes right by the oil tank farm. So if there were to be some kind of accident, some kind of explosion, it would put students and staff and faculty. You guys would be in like the direct line of fire. That's like a direct health issue for you. So we've had events, awareness events related to that. We've had kind of the the chief of uh, the firefighter chief for the city of Burnaby come give talks on like why this is a big risk particularly because there's also like what's called university on top of the the mountain, which is like a residential area. There's an elementary school there. Lots of people you'd have to evacuate if that were 
there were to be some kind of forest fire or something like that. So it's a it's a big concern for for more reasons than one. Yeah. It is incredible to me how much risky crap that pipeline companies and like other oil transport companies get away with. Yeah, it's mind blowing. Jeez. All my best to you for that working group. I really hope that turns out well. And congratulations again on your win. Thank you. Yeah, I appreciate it. I mean, like we said, uh, universities apparently have a bit of a credit problem. I mention it every single time because I think it's (laughs) hilarious. They never say anything, ever. (laughs) The emphasis at universities about proper credit where credit is due and plagiarism Um, and yet, and yet, so congratulations on all of your hard work paying off. Thank you. Yeah, it was a a team effort, lots of people involved. So yeah, I appreciate it. Brennan Strandberg Salmon is a fourth year undergraduate student at Simon Fraser University and member of SFU 350. This podcast is hosted by Sophie Price and Petra Duff and edited by Petra Duff. Our theme was composed by Jensen Lawrence. Thank you.